Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here coming to you guys from a month-long break from UFC bouts, ready to jump right back in with the really mediocre UFC card. They are yeah. kicking kicking off 2023 on the left foot. They thought they were gonna. They thought they were gonna get us with this one. They thought these clowns, these stupid junkies. They'll be been, they'll be starving for it. Yeah, they're gonna like anything we give them. And I and I will admit, I'm more interested in these fights than I would have been had it happened at any point during the consistent oh, yeah. schedule last year. This comes in mid-November where we would be, we wouldn't even, we'd probably just skip the show. We'd just say, you know, <laughs> we'll watch another Randy Couture movie this year. Yeah, it is actually that week of the card. Like, it would yeah. have been completely insane to consider skipping it. Um, So I'm more interested than, than that because of the break, but it's not good. No, it it's really just. In fact, my opinion has gone down since I did heavy hand yesterday. It is actually quite a bad card. Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. It's not very. I good mean, at it, all. The, the wildest thing though is that the main event changed like three days ago, and it actually kind of improved it. Yeah, that I agree with. Like I, I was interested to see Kelvin Gastelum show up and fight Nasruddin Imovov because Gastelum is in one of those places where. Every time he steps in the cage now, I'm watching intently to see how much more of his career detonates. Yeah, okay. So you're a sadist. That was your reason. Well, yeah, for... I mean, like, it's, he's, he's in one of those places where, like, no wheels really should be falling off of him. You know, he's, I mean, he's put in, he's, he's got some, some heavy mileage at this point, but. He's got some very heavy mileage. But he's not ancient. He's not lost durability and he doesn't seem like he's slower than he used to be he's just getting into that really strange uh twilight zone that some fighters that the strangest fighters tend to age into which is where they hmm? the mist yeah robinson might say The, the mist especially i think the mist where they just stop fighting like, yeah. they just stop doing things. And Kevin Kelvin Gaslam's never been a guy who did a lot of things. No, but he's got so little structure to back it up that yeah. failing to pull the trigger has turned him into an utter shell of his former self, which is why I hated the main event. Yeah. But like, I was I am interested in involved, to but... see. I'm, I'm fascinated to see that because it's like, you know, it's That's... like Josh Berkman area where you're just watching every time you're like, are they really, or or Tyron Woodley at the end of his career, where you're just watching every time you're like, is he gonna is he gonna try to course correct? Is there going to be a moment where he snaps in the cage and is just like, I can't do this anymore? And for Woodley, there was, and it didn't go any better for him. Yeah, no shit. No, I I don't <laughs> I, I I don't uh, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I do not feel the same way. Okay, that's fine. That's For me, fine. guys, like at the point where Kelvin Gaslin appears to be, I'm just like, 
I would be interested to see that on an undercard against a reasonable low-level opponent. Yeah. This was Gastelum getting fed to a future contender. Yeah. And that I don't care to see. I'm significantly more interested in Strickland in Mavov because at least yeah. Strickland still has something to give. He still looks like Sean Strickland. Yep. Um, it's and just that that is now – so it is now officially a fight with – a card with two good fights. Uh because there's also uh, Nurmagomedov Barcelos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some I, other ones that'll be fun. There's some prospects I'm curious yeah. about, but in terms of like proven quantities, having good fights that mean something, there's two. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so, Kellen Vieira and Raquel Pennington have bad fights that mean something. Well, yeah. That's why <laughs> so I said good fights. <laughs> that's that's something. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so so basically it is it is significantly upgraded by a factor of 50%, in mm. my opinion, this card. I mean, uh, or 100%. It's 100%, yeah, it's 100% better than it, was, than it was before. But think what Sean Strickland can give you. Yeah, and it still might not be an actual good fight. I'm just interested. No. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, too. I'm, you know, I'll let you take it away here in a second, but uh, okay. somebody on Twitter um basically poised the two questions of this fight. Mm -hmm. And I will admit I'm not, I mean, I know the answer, but I don't know what the result will be, which are how much trouble can Sean Strickland's jab cause Nasadini Mavov? Or how much, how, how many, you know, how important is it for Sean Strickland, you know, to fight behind his jab against Nasadini Mavov? How much can he do with it? And how important is cardio going to be in this yeah. fight? Yeah, those are the two questions. I agree. And the answer is a lot uh -huh. for Strickland and his jab and very for how important it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, which which ultimately what, what I think you're saying is, is the point that I will probably conclude with, which is that I think this is uh, Gastelum was a gimme and this is kind of a rough matchup for Imbavov. This is kind of a really bad matchup for Nasty. Like he's he's really kind of lost out in this uh, opponent change, and we also we should just say up top um, that the the assumption is basically that uh, Sean Strickland is going to look exactly as he would if he'd had a full camp. Yeah, and that that is a big question because this fight's at light heavyweight now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, so no time for the cut. I still assume. What does – you saw Sean Strickland's house. Yes. What does, he lives in the gym. He, he, the man lives in the gym. Like, he doesn't have yeah. shit to do at he, home. He literally moved out of his parents' house to recreate the fighter apartment version of a mother's basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen a person. Well, I have, I have, I can't say I've never seen, but I have rarely seen a professional in their thirties living like they still live at home and are paying rent to their parents who are desperate to have them move out. Mm -hmm. That is how Sean Strickland lives. Mm hmm. So like yeah, my my assumption is, and and maybe this isn't correct, but the you know you always have to come up with 
um, basically like a, a, a quotient, like how much attention yeah. do I pay to the X, X factors here? The X factor here is that is the short notice change. And up up top, I am just going to operate on the assumption that Sean Strickland, who lives in the gym, who does nothing but spar in his training anyway, whose style basically does not change at all from opponent to opponent. Yep. I mean, it, it does in that he, he can get sucked into other people's fights, but it seems to have nothing to do with the quality of his preparation. Mm-hmm. So I'm just assuming that we're going to see a normal Sean Strickland who can do five rounds at the Sean Strickland simmer. Yeah. And if that is the case, it's, it is a bad matchup, I think for Imovov. Um, because, um, yeah, well, a couple reasons, like we've already sort of hinted at Imovov has had some really impressive moments and some really impressive fights. The only one, uh, of those fights in the UFC that came against someone close to his size was the famously breakable Edmund Shabazian. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, he has feasted on short dudes. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, even Phil Hawes, which he barely yeah. snuck out of that with a, a draw, was it? Or a majority no, decision lost. loss? He lost a majority decision. Um, you know, but that's still the success he had with his striking late in that fight was a dependent on the fact that he he wasn't allowed to waste any energy earlier. Uh-huh. And B, Phil Hall's much more striker, much more fragile and also significantly shorter than him. Uh-huh. And, um, and there was Heinish, another one as well. five eleven Heinish. So basically he has a big height and reach advantage on everybody. And even in those fights. I mean, Jordan Williams is close to his his reach, and Jordan Williams kind of gave him trouble. Yeah. Uh, just by being willing to, like, get into range and trade with him. Yeah. Um, And then he has more than once really flagged in the third round because um, he, he's just a, a very inefficient fighter. It's, it's almost shocking because he's not... It's not high output. He's not high output. He doesn't appear like that crazy explosive like he's not putting huge power into everything but the way he moves around um the way he sort of stays coiled as as so many like sniper type fighters do means that um yeah he just like gets tired uh 10 minutes into the fight and it it really affects his style because he he's he's not a um He's not a guy who like banks small advantages, you know? Yeah. He, he, he wants to go in there and knock his opponent out. Um, he may train with Cyril Gaon. He may remind you of Cyril Gaon in a lot of ways, but this ain't heavyweight. And his attitude is different from Cyril's. He is not out there trying to work jabs and keep people at bay and force them to make mistakes. He, he does. He wants to mark people. Yeah, he's very much he, he's uh, he's trying he's doing a lot of like cl- cl- Machida classic stuff yeah, in yeah. the cage. You know, he's very much like sitting back, circling away, trying to lead you on to the left hand counter, and then you know if you let him go forward, you'll get a few creative kicks, you'll get the occasional really sharp one two, and then often what he'll just do after that is he'll just clinch up or shoot on you. Yeah. And look to control you on the mat. And, and it's it's a lot of one and done striking. It's, yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> it's a lot of head hunting for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, and it's not efficiently done. So yeah, th these are enough reasons for me to pick Sean, even on short notice. Yeah, I will say I have a couple reservations remaining. Mm -hmm. And I'll, probably I'll take the biggest... a table of 7 p.m., please. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> probably the biggest reservation I have is honestly just this fight being at light heavyweight. Yeah. Which I think sh I think will suit Imovov a lot better than Strickland. Because Strickland... It's... As a former welterweight and fair-sized middleweight, yeah, he's a good-sized he, middleweight. He's still he's not a uh, shredded powerhouse of a fighter at 185 pounds. No, you know he is a volume uh, light on his feet. Well, I mean he's kind of a plotter, but you know what I mean. Like you know. Trying, he 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 values a lot being quick with his movement, quick to be able to slide out of the pocket, to mm -hmm. be able to to slip back, um, and throw a lot, and just kind of make uh you know create a pace war. Mm -hmm. And Nasudinovov, he's six three. He is definitely a big middleweight. And he fights like somebody who really wants to impose his power and his physicality on his opponents. Mm -hmm. And adding extra weight to that, it might, you know, Sean, like, Sean Strickland's not going to come in carrying extra muscle for this fight. No. He's going to come in just a little bit doughier. And maybe even like it, you know, we could even, I wouldn't be surprised to see him at like 202. Oh, or yeah. 203, you know? Yeah. Just basically not having cut. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't at all be surprised to see Imovov in the cage at like 210 mm -hmm. or 215. Yeah. He's going to go coming up from, from middleweight. He's going to weigh in at 206. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's the case, it could be a fight where you know, Strickland banks a lot on his ability to, you know, to, to hand trap and to be able to block shots as they mm -hmm. come in and to be able to block, I mean, takedowns as they come in, but just, you know, through having good vision and mm -hmm. good timing could be that he'll just suddenly be overpowered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that Imovov will just go out there and shoot on him and take him down. Yeah. I would not be shocked to see that happen. Like I know Strickland is a hard fighter to take down and to keep down, but it might be, you know, size makes a big difference in that equation. It does. And I would not be surprised if it, if it just looks bad for him evolve in that, in that regard. But the other thing, the thing that I keep coming around to is just the idea that, Imovov has yet to really look like a comfortable three-round fighter. Yeah. Even when he can win a decision. And Strickland is insanely durable. And a big thing that he can bring into fights and always brings into fights is just how damn calm he is. 
Yeah, and so maddening if, consistency round to yeah. round. I mean, that's the other. That's why Gaslam would have been a nice fight because yeah, there's a chance Gaslam would have hit had hit that switch and uh, flipped that switch and tried to go crazy. But based on what we've seen, it seemed more likely that he was just going to kind of get taken apart and basically give Imovov the time he needed at some point yeah. in round three to kind of take time off. Yeah, he would, and he would. They would just go one for one with Imovov being lengthier, so he would, he would get more of his ones than yeah. Gastelum would, and then Gastelum would be down in a fight and would not have, you know, he wouldn't press the action in any meaningful way to come back and take it over. Yeah. Um, but Trisham yeah, he doesn't necessarily press the action against everybody, but he does just maintain. Yeah, and if you try to take time off from him, he will yeah, fill yeah, yeah. space. Hundred percent. He loves to pressure if you invite him. Yeah, and I can so I can easily see Imovov coming out and having a really good first two rounds. Yeah, and I kind of expect that. Just starting to fade, and Strickland pick it up. And now Strickland, you know, if he's not in shape, if this was not a, uh, you know, if, if there was, if he was eating good over the holidays, not that he's got anybody to celebrate with or. Any, you know, <laughs> but if he was eating good over the holidays and all that, then this could, this could be a fight that he, you know, we actually see a cardio wall for him where he's not ready carrying a little extra weight and all that. But I'm going to, I'm going to bank with you that he's a guy who always stays ready. Who's always sparring. He's, mm-hmm. He doesn't need to game plan. He's not going to come in with something wildly different. And while he has been knocked out by creative, uh, powerful guys in the past, um, I don't think Imovov is sharp enough. Imovov has rarely been a one-shot knockout artist. Mm -hmm. He tends to have to get into a kind of wild fight where he can keep landing sharper strikes and being kind of a big Hulk and bully and break you down through that. It's not, it, it, you know, early in his career, it might've been able to be like, Oh, I'm going to lead you onto one big counter and knock you out. But that hasn't happened in the UFC. And that has to, that for Strickland, the only times he's been knocked out have been like that, where he's got a real, wild powerhouse in front of him who can just catch him with one shot and put him away. Yeah. If you I just t- I just want to say for research purposes that I checked Sean's Instagram and it appears that on or about Christmas what he was doing was crashing a dirt bike. Yeah, that sounds more right. <laughs> he posted a video of him just sort of very slowly crashing on a dirt bike about 2 weeks ago. Yeah, he, he's you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then a car rant right around the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Christmas changed anything about Sean Strickland's <laughs> no. life. No. Again, I think this dude was in the gym being Sean Strickland the whole time. I'm, yeah. I'm increasingly confident of that idea. Yeah, he's he he's there's a predictability to the man, yeah. not just in the cage. But in all facets. God knows without that routine, Sean Strickland would have already killed. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank God for Sean Strickland's routine. 
and uh, for our purposes as fight predictors as well, because yep. it makes this X factors aside, it makes this look uh, just like Imovov. Clearly, Imovov's toughest test to date. Mm-hmm. And I like Imovov's style a lot. I hope that as he he's pretty young, I hope that as yeah. he matures, he just kind of he can add little. You know, he's he's powerful. He's accurate. He's fast. He's, he's big, big, like rangy. So all he really has to do is yeah. add more consistent range tools to, yeah. to give people more to think about, so they are forced onto his shots. And the, and he will do it from time to time. Like when yeah. he settles into a fight, you will see nice. Um, I mean, frankly, when he uses it, I kind of like it a little better than a lot of Cyril Gon's jab work because he will <laughs> just poke, poke, poke. You know, make you flinch, make you back off, or make draw you in, like. Just touch jabs. That's all he really should need, but mm-hmm. it's not a consistent part of his game yet. He doesn't have the discipline yet. He doesn't have the the requisite experience yeah, uh, to know what these tougher, longer fights feel like where, yeah, again, like winning is really a process of um, creating a long series of small advantages. Yeah. And... But, uh, yeah, until I see that, I'm picking a dude like Sean Strickland to beat him. Yep, I agree. I just I, I was thinking about it, like, walking around this morning after I was watching tape and taking my dog out for a walk. I'm just like, I got to pick Strickland here. Like, I if I'm just thinking about this fight from a base point, like, thinking of the tape I've been watching, thinking of how much Imovov is willing to let his opponents uh, – dictate out at range Mm -hmm. and how dependent he is on just sort of trying to physically bully them in other places. And he hasn't really experienced anybody that is prepared to push back on him in Mm -hmm. physical tie-ups like, you know, Heinish and uh, Shabazian are both fighters who, can start out really competitive, but will also often give a lot of advantages away with the expectation that they can kind of fight their way through and come back to something. Very much so, yeah. And Strickland is a guy who he really does not give you... He didn't give anything away. Yeah, he doesn't give anything away. It's one of his real strengths. Like, he'll get sucked into your fight, but he's going to be, like, really, really careful and focused yeah, I mean, uh, that entire time. Sometimes there were much. a whole bunch of people who thought that he beat Jared Cannonier, and that was a brutal matchup for him. Yeah, you know, and it was basically entirely fifty-fifty. Yeah. So, I uh, yeah, odds on the fight. They had odds makers have it dead even. Opened at minus one seventy for Nasiruddin Imovov, jumped up to minus plus one hundred. It's currently at minus one twelve. Strickland opened at plus 145, dropped to minus 120, currently minus 110. So I'm okay with even odds on uh, the short notice and the yeah. weight class change. There okay. are a couple of big X factors. Like I say, I can imagine, because Imovov does like to wrestle and he's not bad at it. He's not great at it, but I can imagine a world where, you know, he's a couple inches taller. He's got a bigger frame naturally. He carries more muscle naturally. Mm-hmm. I can imagine a world where he just walks into this looking actually a lot bigger than Sean Strickland and can mm-hmm. physically horse him around. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I got to assume a lot of his uh, his consistency, his pace and stamina issues yeah. are more um, Conor McGregor-esque than they mm-hmm. are like, oh, the weight cut is sapping his conditioning. Yeah. Because, again, I've, I've seen uh, that, that fight with Phil Halls where he had a great third round um, because he wasn't allowed to do anything. Yeah. Up to that point, he was just held against the fence largely. And then... I've seen fights where he's winning comfortably up two rounds at a pretty slow pace and he gasses. I think it's yeah. because he's too tense. He's too inefficient um, and too inexperienced and, and quite possibly has like an adrenaline dump because he's so excited about knocking people out. Yeah, I think that's a big one for him. Yeah. And he's just he, he just feels like an inexperienced fighter so far. Yep. All right, that brings us to our co-main event, Dan Ige, Damon Jackson. And um, this is a really interestingly winnable fight for Damon Jackson that he should not win. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. because I don't. Well, I mean, the thing with Dan Ige is really that he's not good at controlling fights. And that's principally because there's only one there's only one range Danny Gay likes to fight. And that's right in the pocket. He can do other things, but his counterpunching game, his front foot game, you give Danny Gay a chance to fight the fight he wants, and it's right it's right there in the pocket in front of you, trading power. And I'm not sure I entirely agree with that, actually. Like, no, he's he does have to get in the pocket to hit you because he's tiny. Yeah. But um, like, yeah, just the fact that we have so many of his recent striking performances are defined by his counterpunching, where he does a thing far too few uh, quick, shorter fighters do in MMA, which is to, like, make the bigger guy give up his own reach advantage by chasing you. Mm hmm. Um, I still feel like when he makes you enter the pocket uh, more often than not these days. I still feel like he, I mean, it's still a thing where for me, it's still, there's not, uh, there's not outside offense is what I'm saying. There's no, no, but what is it? What was he supposed to do? (laughs) I guess he could develop a big kicking game or something, but uh, a kicking game, a jab, what have you, you know, there are, there there are ways that he could do have other kinds of fights, you know? Yeah. I, I think he would like to be out of the pocket and make you enter and punish you. But if you're saying that Danny Gay is only effective in the pocket with his striking, I agree. Yeah. And that at least, I mean, it, it's caused him a bunch of trouble at the upper level because yeah. it allows, you know, it allows guys like, Mozart Ivloev a chance to choose what they want to do. Yeah. To you know, they get to they get to have a you get to have that taster's choice sort of walk in. Am I gonna hit you with power? Am I going to shoot in on you? It mm-hmm. looks the same. You're wait you're you have to have me there in front of you. You're letting me choose how. Yeah. Which I think we said at the time, Ige looked like a particularly good matchup for uh yeah, Loev to to finally break into a contendership. Yeah, or you know, and and in the case of Josh Emmett, it's just like okay, now you're gonna sit there in front of a bigger puncher. Yeah, and although that fight was like 
Strickland Cannoneer levels of who won. It was yeah, very, no, I know it's close. a tight, it, but it's still, you know, it, it's causing it's give the the troubles it's giving him. Yes, are and and even like Chan Sung Jung got the choice of like, okay, well, I can choose. Do I want to wrestle you? Do I want to strike with you? Yeah, you give me that opportunity. It forces Ige to have a lot of similar exchanges where he has to make uh, like a series of really sharp adjustments, which yeah. I've repeatedly been impressed with Ige in these fights. Like, I think sure. there's a danger for a lot of people here of looking at Ige losing three or four of his last five. Yeah. And being like, ah, it's just like, who, which one of these guys was he going to clearly beat ever? Yeah. They're like some of the best dudes in the division and possibly the best prospect cum contender in the division. So like, yep. Uh, and they've largely been very close competitive fights where Ige has shown like a continually improving craft as a striker and a counterpuncher in particular. Yeah, he's not a bad fighter. It's but, just... these, but these are difficult fights to decisively win if you're not going to knock your opponent out, which yeah. he, he can do, but doesn't often do. And Damon Jackson is, you know, he's not nearly as athletic as any of these guys that Ige has fought lately. He's not as athletic as Danny Gay. Um, he's not nearly as sharp a striker as any of these guys that Danny Gay has fought recently. Nor but as good a wrestler. Nor as good a wrestler. True. Yeah. I mean, honestly, well, yeah, Emmett doesn't wrestle enough and neither does Cater. But yeah, he's not. No, but when Emmett does, he's clearly very yeah. good at it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and is a freak athlete, which helps. Yeah. And. But he will ask that split the second that split second question of people. It is one of the things that has gotten Damon Jackson some really surprising wins. Mm -hmm. Is that he will step into the pocket, and you don't know if he's going to throw something really violent at your face, mm -hmm. or if he's going to duck in uh, and create a scramble looking for a back take. Mm -hmm. and you know like that Pat Sabatini physically skill wise mm -hmm. whatever should have been able to take Damon Jackson apart yeah and Damon Jackson just came out and said okay step front kick and Sabatini <laughs> had no clue you know yeah still very surprised and impressed by that one yeah, yeah. he is uh, Jackson, he also, he fights with a lot of anger. Yeah. It's been, always been my read. A lot of emotion, a lot of anger. And I think he channels it really well. Yeah. Makes him really confident, really tough, really, really unwilling to go away. Yeah, he almost fights with the understanding of, like, what his limitations are, that he's like, he seems to come into a fight thinking like, I have to finish this guy. It's the, yeah. even when it doesn't materialize, that mindset seems to lead him to the decisions he does get because yeah, this is a guy who should not be in there trying to accrue small advantages against these much better fighters. He's, he goes for broke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. And so in that way, I think like I look at Danny Gay and I'm like, yeah, Danny Gay should knock him out. He is, just a technically better fighter almost everywhere. I mean, 
Yeah. You, you know, maybe even jujitsu, like Ige is a really good grappler when, yes. when he gets the chance to grapple at his, at his behest, when he gets mm-hmm. to be the initiating fighter. Um, but he does have this problem of like falling into this. I'm reacting to you yeah. and I'm going to let you pick the first move trap. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it makes him a unique, it makes him a somewhat uniquely beatable fighter for guys at that level, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that makes sense. Picking Danny gay mm-hmm. because I have seen, enough fights where uh, Damon Jackson has been brutally KO'd mm-hmm. by somebody with the dynamic ability to do so. Could very easily be that one in five fights where Ige just wrecks somebody with one punch. Yeah. And I have never seen Dan Ige get finished. Mm-hmm. And that's still through really through hell and high water through guys like Mozart Yvlov and Josh Emmett. Calvin still Cater, remain- I mean... <laughs> Yeah, if Calvin Cater himself wasn't in this division, uh, Ige would probably be the top candidate for best chin at one uh, at 145. Yeah. He is Jackson, insanely durable. Jackson creates fights where he is he's out there trying to wreck you and if he doesn't, there will be enough chaos created that you will get chances to hurt him. He controlled yes. uh uh he controlled Daniel Argueta for like, I don't know, 10 out of 15, 13 out of 15 minutes. Of that fight. Let's see if we have actual stats here. Stats, Damon Jackson, he had... Basically the entirety of the first two rounds. He had 10 and a half minutes of control yeah. over Dan Argueta in that fight. He also got hurt like three times in that fight by punches. Mm-hmm. Because he just would step in on Argueta and be like, okay, we're going to create the most violent exchange possible. And Argueta is a much sharper, more powerful puncher in the pocket than he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, just a, it's a mess. <laughs> it's, just, yeah, it's, a it's a mess the way he gets in on people. And it's how well do you cope with a mess is the question he asks. It, 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 it's sort of like he, he he's a there's a sort of lesser um, Bryce Mitchell thing going on with Jackson. Mm where his first one or two strikes will be really seem seem like really sharp reads where like early you know he'll step in on like a one hook or one a, a one two or one jab or something like oh yeah that looked pretty sharp mm-hmm. and then he if if that doesn't work and that doesn't do everything to get him to his next spot and he has to stay there and strike then you're like oh wow there's nothing prepared after this. No, the body is not prepared to move and follow up on that first movement. No. So Bryce Mitchell. <laughs> That's the lesser Bryce Mitchell. There we go. Um. Yeah. See, I'm picking Ige, but 100%. I'm interested. I'm interested to see this because Damon yeah, Jackson. You can't say Damon Jackson hasn't earned the fight either. Like I, I quite like the matchup for both guys because it's like. Again, I've been impressed with Ige pretty much every time out mm-hmm. in these fights where I'm also just like, especially in hindsight, I'm like, he wasn't going to win that. Yeah. yeah. What was, what was going to happen? He was, but he's like an elite gatekeeper in this division. Mm-hmm. And this is him finally, 
he fought Evloev, another per- perfectly sensible matchup, but one that Evloev was definitely going to win right when it was made. Now he's finally in the gatekeeper role where it's like he, he can slam the door in this dude's face. Yeah. And back on the Gavin Tucker fight. Yes, exactly. And and a big difference between him and somebody like Pat Sabatini. I mean, there are many. Uh, experience is one. Durability is one. Um, but I would say the main difference here is that Danny Gay is notably well-rounded. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's really quite good at everything. One of the things we talked about with Pat Sabatini is how stiff he is in like standing and how much he clearly does not like striking. It does not, he tried to tries to force himself to do it a lot, but he is not comfortable with it at all. Yeah. He really does like, no, he really likes it. I mean, you can tell like he's, he's put in a ton of work and he's actively mentally engaged with what's happening in the striking at every single moment of his fights, starting with that Calvin cater bout since then, I think we've seen small, Meaningful improvements in yep. uh, Dan Ige's like tactics as a striker and his technique. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's uh, this could be a fight where he just he just blows Damon Jackson out of the water. But even if he has to get into some trouble first, uh, I find it w- way easier to count on Dan Ige down the stretch in a tough fight. Like he's this too will tough. Be... Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no, please, please go on. This will be absolutely fascinating. If Danny Ye has, if his past problem resurfaces, where he absolutely just shits the bed in the second round, where he yeah, gets like true. taken just... down and looks exhausted and looks just absolutely gasping for breath. Yeah. Because, like I say, I mean, one of the defining things about Damon Jackson is just how much pent up rage he fights with. If you <laughs> give Jackson a chance to have an advantage, he will put it on you. Mm-hmm. So if if Dan Ige has a point where he's like, he just wipes the floor with Damon Jackson for a round, mm-hmm. and then he gets really tired, Damon Jackson will he will be on him, yeah, unquestionably. Yeah, and well, that'll be fun. even in some tough fights. We haven't seen that in a little while. Yeah, we haven't seen it. In a little I think while. Ige has really matured. Mm-hmm. Um and gotten really comfortable in the cage no matter what happens. So easy Danny gay pick in a fight that nonetheless, I, I think is reasonably compelling for what it is. And yeah. it makes a lot of sense for both guys. And the great thing about seeing guys like Jackson rise is that they're underdogs and you get to keep watching them be underdogs and keep being impressed by what they do. And if they fail, they, you know, yeah, it was going to happen. That was always meant to be. Uh huh. Dan Ige opened at plus 140, dropped to minus 112, currently minus 121. Uh, Jackson opened at minus 160, jumped up to minus 108, and is currently minus 101. So nearly even, that that losing streak, definitely a big factor there, you got to imagine, for Ige. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you also have to compare coming off of fights with Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, and Mopsar Evloev to coming off of fights with Pat Sabatini, Daniel Argueta, and Camuela Kirk. Yeah. And and again, other than the Evloev fight, uh, of these last three losses, 
I think they they were Josh Emmett definitely a case for Ige winning, and the mm-hmm. Chancellor Junk fight was just that close. Like yeah, you, it really was. It wouldn't have been in, completely insane for Ige to have gotten like a split decision there. Mm-mm. Very no, competitive, was, very close. Those fights where like damage yeah. alone, you might have said Dan Ige won that fight, but Chancellor Jung was able to secure whole rounds with good positional grappling. Yeah, that. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, he's he's just going to secure. He's going to he's securing this win. And I'm glad he didn't get hurt more. Yeah. You know, that was maybe the best fight I've seen out of Ike because it was one where yeah, he had a guy who had to keep coming at him. And he honestly just kept looking better round by round. Yeah. Um. So I I have (laughs) he should not be that close to even here. He should be a healthy favorite. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Punahale Soriano, Roman Kapalov, and um, middleweights. Yeah, middleweights. Good at one thing, bad at every at all other things. Yeah. Um. In that sense, this is a real. Phil and I were talking about this. Has uh has wealth is welterweight middleweight now? Is that like? Are we well into the process of welterweight being the specialists division? Because it seems like. Um, I don't know. Middleweight isn't what it used to be. It's 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 way way more divided between like the best in the division, even mm-hmm. after guys like you know Romero and whatnot left. Sure. But but also it's it's become a division of like weird generalists. Like what is? I mean, you're saying this after Alex Pereira just won the title. Well, that's what I was. <laughs> but Alex Pereira, like what it takes now to be a. Uh, to be a, an elite middleweight of the classic form is to, in fact, be a heavyweight. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Soriano and Kapolov, though, uh, they do feel like some real classic middleweights. Yeah, because like they they each just kind of want to do one thing, and they're not necessarily even great at that one thing. But there's other things they're much worse at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, this is a real middleweight. Uh, uh, in the middleweight form. Yeah. So Akapolov uh, had basically entirely written off before his last win, which I called. Hey, good on you. I, 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 I've been waiting for that fight from Kapolov ever since he got signed, and it, it just, it took the right opponent to pull it out of him. Yeah, and and what that opponent was was uh, somebody who didn't try to do too much. Yeah. Pretty much. Just basically let him move around and uh, line up his shots to his heart's content. And yeah, given that kind of matchup, lots of time, lots of space, um, he's a pretty interesting striker. Yeah, you, you get to see what he was regionally, which is a guy who get, can slowly avalanche you with a variety and volume mm-hmm. as a pretty much as a boxer, almost exclusively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a little, uh, I get slight like Joe Kalzaki vibes from uh, mm-hmm. Kapalov's boxing. Uh, a lot of output, a lot of n- not too much power on anything, a lot of flicking shots, but then, um, you know, kind of Diaz style will sneak in a surprisingly yeah. hard shot in the midst of a weird slappy combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the the question is really like, can Punahele Soriano like take advantage of 
uh, weaknesses in the opponent's game because Kopolov is a bad grappler wrestler. Yeah. Just overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albert Durayev out-wrestled him easily. Carl Roberson. Uh, I actually remembered more of the Roberson classic wrestling in that fight. He he kind of waited till round three. Um, the reason for that, though, was that like uh, he was completely demolishing Kopolov with low kicks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, the thing about having a a slappy boxing game where all you're doing is boxing is there's a lot of other things that your opponent can do to you as yeah. you're trying to set up your entries for your hands. Yeah, and and Soriano is a solid kicker when he cares to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a really powerful striker in general. Yeah. Um, this is a like the Roberson match. This is a southpaw versus southpaw fight. Mm-hmm. which means Soriano is going to have that outside low kick that destroyed Kopolov then if he wants it. Yep. Um, and could quite possibly have some success out wrestling Kopolov as well. Even having seen very little offensive wrestling from Soriano, just based on the fact that he's big and strong and a decent grappler, I, I, it couldn't be that bad of an idea to try. Yeah, I mean he's he, he's not a bad wrestler. I think they they gave a little secret away when uh, in, in his last fight. If you listen to any of the commentary of that Lunjumbula fight, uh-huh. which was they're talking about Soriano, you know Soriano, some quotes from him and all that, and like why why he's a fighter now, and he's saying that like he, Soriano used to tell his dad that he always hated wrestling practice, but fighting isn't wrestling because hmm. he grew up like wrestling all yeah, through. I'm... Shit, you could see it in that Nick Maximoff fight. His yeah. takedown defense was incredible. Yeah, he, he's he's done tons of wrestling. He just doesn't like it at all. He's one of those wrestlers yeah. who, the moment they've got a chance to just wang on people with, like, loving punches, punch. yes. yeah, <laughs> that that's all they ever wanted to do. And that's the problem. I mean, that's what gives Kopolov a shot in this fight. Yeah. Is that uh, really, you know, down in his his heart, Soriano just wants to sort of waddle forward and blow your head off with one big left hand. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he like hits the body. Well, when he thinks to, he's a good kicker. When he thinks to, he appears to be a great wrestler when he thinks um, to, yeah, <laughs> or when he, he has, just, to. when he has to, basically we yeah. haven't seen him like really choose to use it before. These are just so many ways for him to really comfortably win this fight. And I just don't really trust him to do any of them. I'm still going to pick him though. Yeah, because he's insanely tough. Uh, he can soak up a lot of damage without. I mean, the number of body kicks he took from Brandon Allen without it really affecting that much about how he was fighting uh-huh. um, in a very competitive fight with, uh, yeah, just a much better, more well-rounded fighter than Kopolov. So I, I'm I'm going to take Soriano. I just think that the odds of him banking a, a, a close or otherwise even losing round with one big shot yeah, enough to put me over the edge and pick him. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, Kapalov, to fight the fight he wants, he has to be right there in front of you to be hit. Right. It's exactly. not like anybody's had trouble punching Roman Kapalov. Yeah. You know? Even, uh, like, Alessio DeChirico still, you know, landed 39 significant strikes to Kapalov's 59. Yeah. Like, it wasn't some 
huge volume landslide. It was it was a good fight for Kapalov, but mm-hmm. they went one for one in the second round, both landing 21 strikes. Yeah, and, and a lot I'm, of I'm not acting like it, it should have been a gimme, but Carl Roberson as well. Like if you're going to be a lower powered, high output striker. Mm-hmm. who has to kind of like make somebody uncomfortable on the feed and slowly chip away at them. Yeah. To, to, to have an advantage like that Roberson should have been, should have been that kind of win for couple of, and not, yeah, even, he's not just even close. He just walks it. He's too, he, he's too much in the pocket. It's too, yeah. it's too focused on punching. It's too predictable if, as to what kind of output he's going to be targeting that, most of most opponents can even if they just have his fight can just out punch him in it so yeah i agree soriano too tough and too many other options if he you know this would be absolutely the point to actually mm-hmm. he took uh jamie pickett down three times this is the point hey. to that wrestling back you know yep so yeah or i'm gonna again just walk forward and throw huge left low yeah. kicks like yeah you don't even have to be that good at it. You can take the counters. Yeah. Couple of going to be dancing around and not ready to check. He's terrible at checking. Just crush him with. The, yeah. I, I don't even going to think about what happens after a takedown. Just mix in those two things and the left hand will work. Yeah. I, I got to pick Soriano, but you know, I'm glad Kapalov got at least one win in the UFC. I do like the potential for what his style could be. It's just, he seems hell bent on not changing it. Mm-hmm. It's probably in part too, just that despite looking like a 14 year old with a skin problem, he's, he's 31. He's 31. And he's yeah. been doing this since, well, only since 2016. So there's still time to change, but it's not, that change has not been apparent. Yeah. yeah he looks like a beefed up chase Hooper. <laughs> right. And not that beefed up. Not, yeah. yeah. Just a slightly, Looks like Chase Hooper in two years, <laughs> basically. Chase mm. Hooper post puberty. <laughs> uh, odds on the fight. Soriano is the favorite here. Opened at minus one eighty. Currently minus one fifty eight. Kapalov opened at plus one fifty five. Currently plus one thirty one. Those odds are getting closer. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can. I get it. It's a fight Soriano should win, but that's, you know, I think there's a good chance Bunahali Soriano, a lot of his career is going to be fights he should win. That, yeah, yeah. That he's not gonna, because yeah, he's it, just... It at least end up being very close. Yeah, because he just doesn't, he doesn't have enough, he, he doesn't, he isn't willing to put enough pieces together in his game mm-hmm. you know it's like you where you know where's the uh where's you know not that he's like a chris weidman level wrestler or something but like where's the chris weidman energy you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just go out there and bully people mm-hmm. also doesn't help that he's 511 as a middleweight in a division that is quickly filling up more and more with That's six true. foot one six foot two guys that's true. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout. Ketlin Vieira, Raquel Pennington. Woo! Yeah. The people's main event, Zane. 
<laughs> the people being weird foot fetishists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this, man, this fight's so hard to call. And it shouldn't be. What do you mean? Both of these fighters have such clear advantages that they regularly... Uh... Like... <laughs> I mean, Ketlin Vieira is... I guess she's not actually... I, I always think she's bigger than she is. She's... She may not be as tall as you think of her, but yeah. she, is, she is huge. She is a big bantamweight. She's built like a fridge. Really, honestly. She's 5'8". Yeah. And... You know, she was strong enough to go out and physically hang with Holly Holm. Yeah. Which, even at 40 for Holly Holm, is not something a lot of other fighters in that division have been able to do. Yeah. Calavera is built built like a an appliance that should have, like, a don't rock sticker <laughs> with, like, a diagram of it falling down and crushing someone to death. Like, she's she's she is just, like, a big, like, plank. She's like a door. Yeah. Um, and Raquel Pennington is... Like, she, you know what, credit to her, because she started this MMA journey way back in an era when there were not a lot of athletes in mm -hmm. women's bantamweight. And she has fought through to the point that there are more and more. And, yeah. you know, a more consistent level of athlete and she has improved technically to meet that. She has. I, I thought know. her fight with Aspen Ladd was easily the best boxing performance I've ever seen out of her. Yeah. She has put a lot of focus on her hands because, and, you know, she, she tries to be really hard to take down. And she's not a knockout puncher, but she's going to go out there and she's going to hit people clean and consistently and make the fight a scrap. And it gets her a lot of wins. You know, it has kept her in, in contention for more than half a decade now. Like, mm -hmm. she has been basically circling the contenders area, the, the, the very small contenders, cir circling the circle. I uh, was trying not to say, but I trapped myself dialectically. Uh, since she, since that vision loss to Holly Holm in 2015, mm -hmm. you know, she went out, she beat Jessica Andrade and Betch Cohea and Misha Tate, got a title fight against Amanda Nunes, lost that, lost to Jermaine Durandamy, but then went out and beat Irene Aldana, had a, another really close loss to Holly Holm that we could all argue about and then turn around and just won four more fights in a row. Mm -hmm. And Ketlin Vieira can and should win this fight. But ever since that knockout lost Irene Aldana, mm -hmm. she does not like striking. Nope. And uh, it was good to see. I think she's getting closer to what she was before against Holly Holm, which is that what we saw a lot more of against Holly Holm was a willingness to counter on the back foot whenever Holly Holm would push forward. 
Ketlin Vieira would slide back a little and then meet her with hard hooks. Mm -hmm. But there's no enjoyment of striking going forward. And there's been no improvement in her striking pushing forward. No, she she went from being insanely overconfident. I mean, with justification, because like people yeah. would just she just looms over people and they're like, oh yeah. god. Uh, to yeah, suddenly realizing that maybe actually like <laughs> she's become technical is basically yeah. capital T technical. And the, so there's she, just she got a, the fear in her. There's a lot of swing and cling when she moves forward. Just a lot of yeah. like, okay, here's an overhand. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna dive for this clinch. Yep. with all my being and try to just hold you down and yep. try and keep you from having a fight. Yep. Instead of learning not to get countered. <laughs> yeah. Like how to defend or learning like uh, how to see the counters coming. Basically like most MMA fighters, instead of getting better at the thing she was bad at, she has found a workaround. Yep. Which is now anytime I do feel like I have to go forward, I am not I am going to do everything in my power to just not be there very long. Yeah. Massive overcorrection, which will almost certainly hamper her for future development as a fighter. That's what happens when you use band-aids. Yep. That um, said, I'm gonna yeah. pick her here. Yeah? Yeah. The, the a couple of things, as much as Pennington has tried to be a fighter that doesn't get taken down. Mm -hmm. She is a fighter that always gets taken down at least so. once per fight. And the fight she wants to have is like a dirty inside boxing fight, which is going to probably let Ketlin Vieira clinch her up a lot and wear on her and grind and try to find takedowns. And Vieira is more, she's more powerful yeah, she's she's the bigger hitter and at least the little bit of confidence, renewed confidence she showed against home to at least throw off her back foot and to throw in clinches. I think it can be enough to land enough big shots coupled with the control to give to let judges sway the fight in her favor. It'll be another Raquel Pennington decision loss where. She's looking annoyed at everybody at the judges, and there's a small, uh, distinct cadre of fans who care actually care enough about the fight to try and say she won it, but everybody else will just move on, and she'll have another split decision loss on her record. It, it was really funny the last, uh, her last two fights, in fact, just how little. <laughs> Even the weirdos really cared about arguing about the decisions. Just like, yeah, ah, you really want to have this argument? You want to have a lengthy discussion about a yeah. fight I can only describe as uninspired? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think you're probably right. I'm going to take Pennington, though. Um, yeah, that's fair. And the reason for that is that uh yeah she'll probably get taken down but pennington is just a she is a very solid defensive wrestling grappler even when she gets uh surprised by somebody's strength or you know gets put in a bad position she she doesn't give a lot away no that's in true. those engagements um and she will she's a very patient defensively responsible fighter in those areas um 
So I, I expect that, you know, yeah, maybe just butt scoot to the cage and work your way back up. And, um, you know, is that a definitive round for Vieta? Maybe if she spends enough time on top. But uh, now you know what her incredibly ugly takedown looks like. And probably yeah. Pennington can can sniff those out better in future rounds. Mm-hmm. And then uh, again, I, I really thought Pennington's her counter punching in particular looked awesome against Aspen. Oh yeah, no, she has, you know, like I say, it's a testament to her that somebody, you know, starting in, in 2012 has just patiently improved. Like she is, Pennington is foot slow. She is, you know, you, you never see Raquel Pennington kick because if the few times you have ever seen Raquel Pennington kick, kick, her whole body has to, it has to come with the kick. Yeah, the clock like, would run out on the round before she got the foot back. Yeah. There's just not enough time. Five minutes is not enough time for a Raquel Pennington kick. There is no hip rotation in her at all. And, she, you know, it's just she's just not a natural athlete. Yeah. But she's solid and she's durable and she thinks about her fights and she, you know, she gets better as the fight goes on. She makes good decisions, and she's steadily improved her boxing to be a point where she can make up the difference. Yeah, and yeah, again, her boxing, it didn't just look good. Like, yeah. uh, if you're taking it in the context of what you've seen by, from Pennington in the past, it it looked pretty great. Like, yeah. Um, she she looked so much more comfortable um, in, in knowing where her counters were um, knowing how to like have the last word in exchanges that it made her actually look like a significantly better athlete. Mm-hmm. Cause like the right hand was quick, but she was, she's not a fast fighter, but she was quick on the trigger. Yep. Timing was perfect. Um, and it was like a long straight right hand. Aspen lad could not get away from it. I think these little details might be enough to, yeah, just have a miserably close fight where she, she does put that a little of that fear in Vieta by just, yeah, being able to sting her. I would love to see it. I would love to see Raquel Pennington come out with another hard-fought close victory where judges reward her for her tech, technical acumen. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pick Ketlin Vieira to Yeah, fair enough. to get that push. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's pr- probably just physically the wise pick, but Yeah. There's enough reason for me to uh to go with my uh, my gut feeling about Pennington. Sure. Ketlin Vieira is the favorite here. Opened at minus 145, jumped up to minus 105, currently back down at minus 123. Raquel Pennington opened at plus 125, jumped down to minus 112, is currently at plus 101. Not wide odds. Shouldn't be. I mean, this is this is the kind of fight where I'm expecting a split decision either way. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're just like, oh, yeah, Ketlin Vieira got a takedown in one round. She got that one with a bunch of top control. Uh, they had one round where Pennington was slicker and maybe landed more offense, but Vieira landed like one really good shot that stung her mm-hmm. or something like that. And then Pennington had a much better boxing round for one round that she won. And you're just looking at that middle round where Pennington got a little bit stung or something like that and maybe had a little more volume. You know, yep, we'll see. I mean, I will upgrade this fight to interesting because I now have a vested interest and sure. Uh, and it is meaningful for the division, but uh, it has every every likelihood of not being good to watch. Yeah, 
I mean, it just why why can't any of the why can't any of the really good athletes at one women's bantamweight become better technical fighters? The better best technical fighters too. Because they you don't know? have to. Because <laughs> they yeah. don't have to. And this is I how MMA improvement works. You just you you don't you know every you, yeah. you focus on like your strength and conditioning and your weight cut. Yeah. Until such point as you absolutely have to make a technical improvement, uh, at which point it's frequently too late. Yeah, it's true. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Umar Nurmagomedov against Hani Barcelos. And uh, I'm a little worried about my boy here. I won't about, lie. About Hani? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. this is this it's a is, great fight. It's a great, great fight. fight. I'm actually, you're going to read the odds in a minute and find out that Nurmagomedov is actually a massive favorite. Yeah, I know. I, I am not, I haven't seen the, I haven't actually looked at the odds, but I, I just realized now that I caught a glimpse of the odds page where I saw a line that was like minus or plus 900 and I didn't even connect what the names were and all that, but. And that yeah. is, that in my opinion, like you might be a little worried with reason. Umar is clearly a good fighter, but. Yeah. That's absurd. It is. Like, a, it is patently absurd. Honey Barcelos is a top fifteen bantamweight. He, yeah. I have been beating this drum forever. He is fully capable of beating Umar Nurmagomedov yeah. on the right day, and fully capable of competing for a title on the right day. Yeah, and and the and the main thing is, and why these odds should basically be dead even, in my opinion, is. Uh, the main problem for Nurmagomedov is, is that he's only really good at one thing. And it happens to be a thing that so far has pretty much been impenetrable for Barcelos, which is the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Barcelos is a great wrestler. He is. Uh, he has, I think, like 95% takedown defense in the UFC. And the guy has had a shocking number of UFC fights at this point. He's very active. Yeah. Um. I think, in fact, if I recall correctly, the only guy to take him down was Kurt Hollibaugh in his first UFC fight, where it was it was almost certainly a case of like, oh, I didn't see that coming. It netted Kurt Hollibaugh. I, I remember this from the stats: all of like 38 seconds of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you shock Barcelos and get him down, which guaranteed isn't going to happen here, because what else is Umar Nurmagomedov going to do to threaten him, really? Um, he's just insanely, even if you shock him, insanely difficult to control. Mm-hmm. And that means that unless this is one of those cases where, you know, like Islam taking on, Phil made this comparison, like Islam Makachev versus Bobby Green, where you're like, Bobby Green doesn't get out wrestled. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, this is another level. Yeah. Unless you think this is that kind of case, which it could be. It could be. Um, then you you do have to think about the other phases of the fight, and once you do that, I don't I think Umar is a significantly less impressive. He's like um like I don't think his striking game even connects to his uh, his wrestling as well as like Khabib's. He's like a weird Aljamain Sterling. Mm-hmm. He throws a lot of kicks and moves around a lot, and um you know like Khabib it's like the shot is sort of his wrestling jab he doesn't necessarily convert a lot of the shots into instant takedowns yeah 
Um, which is why I think he can afford to like be so far away slinging kicks at people because uh-huh. all, all he wants to do is connect to you and then he can start disrupting your balance and attacking yeah. a bunch of trips and throws and etc. Um, but like Barcelos is a good striker, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. powerful. He's fast. Um, he, he's, you know, a little shallow technically, you know, because he's such a good athlete. He also doesn't have to be that deep of a striker, but he's not incapable of making adjustments. Even against Victor Henry, when he was just getting overwhelmed, he was still in there trying to slip, trying to land counters, putting combinations together. Um, he sees you lining up a shot the same way a few times. You're going to eat a nasty uppercut. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm I'm going to pick Barcelos here because I have yet to see anybody succeed at all against him in the wrestling. And it's not the wrestling that has me concerned. Yeah. Honestly. What it is, is it's that damned, damned Timur Valiev fight. Uh Uh-huh. And the Victor Henry fight, too, frankly. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that if you can compete with Barcelos as a wrestler, the lack of depth in his striking becomes a hindrance, an active hindrance. I agree. I just think that there's a real lack of depth in Umar's striking as well. It, there's a and real that's lack not the of depth case for those other guys. No, there's a real lack of depth in Team or Valley of striking. There definitely well, well but there's a huge amount of output and a huge ability to adapt. Like Valiev is a guy who always gets into trouble in the striking and always figures out some way to like uh, to continue trying to overwhelm you with just sheer variety and pace. And that is not something I've ever seen from Nurmagomedov. Well, yeah, but he's because he's, he's never even had to show it. Like, well, I mean, I, yeah. but then you're assuming he's going to show you something you've never seen. At least I knew Valiev was capable of that. But right? I know that Umar Nurmagomedov is, Nurmagomedov is at least capable of creating dominance when he has to strike and creating distance and just like filling space with stuff and making a problem for himself. Cause that's the thing, you know, I, Victor Henry is a, is, is maybe a more uh, complete, more complex striker than Nurmagomedov in that way. A boxer, certainly. Yeah. A more complete, more complex boxer. But a lot of what he did in that fight was just fill space with kicks on Barcelos. Sure. And force Barcelos to have to keep pace with that kicking game while being ready to shut down the wrestling. And Barcelos has a lot of trouble creating pace when his or matching pace when his opponents exceed his. He's got a solid pace he can keep, mm-hmm. but there's just not like his maximum gear is not the maximum gear of other fighters. No, because he and, has to throw big power shots. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't want to. It doesn't have the tools to go out there and. And just yeah. fill fill space with his own uh, like easy offense. Yeah, and so I'm I'm just con- I'm I'm too concerned about that to pick him here. That combination, I it may be that I'm overrating Nurmagomedov, and maybe he'll be exposed, and 
I'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, he just, he can't have the kind of fight. He, he wasn't ready for the kind of fight that Barcelos could bring to him. He wasn't ready for the fact, what was he going to do when his own wrestling game wasn't working? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that, like, I have already seen Barcelos fail when his own wrestling game isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen... And I just don't have that to go off of with Nurmagomedov. Yeah, that is the difficulty of picking fights like this. It's a, yeah. it is a, it's a prove it kind of fight. Yeah, for better, for better or for worse. And uh, both of our picks are hampered by the idea that like an absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Yeah. Um. You know, like uh, we we just don't know how Nurmagomedov. Uh, God, it, the more times I hear you say it, with the weird syllabic emphasis you put on this name well because like i, used to I say, forget how to say it i keep wanting to say uh, nirmaga Medov. no yeah no isn't it isn't that what it is because i used to say nirmagomedov and people were like what the that's fuck the that? one that's the one i almost found myself saying i don't know which one's right anymore Ner- is what it's nirmaga Medov. yeah it's yes. like the, the 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 stop is on the second syllable which you know to, I'm, I, when i when i read it i'm just like nirmagomedov whatever but um uh, yeah i've had to retrain my brain constantly on that well one. you've broken mine uh, in the <laughs> before you it's got always, there it's always a happy spot for me <laughs> um i i am going to settle on as i usually do the the prove it side where i'm just yeah. like um i don't yet have any reason to think like the, the other thing here is that um I wouldn't have picked a single one of these dudes to to trouble <laughs> to trouble Umar, the yeah. guys that he's beaten so far. No, Nate Manus, yeah, that Brian was a Kelleher getting quick, one. yeah, Kelleher getting quickly taken down and submitted. You know, like yeah, this is like by the book for all of these opponents, and um, he would need to show, I think not just even greater consistency of striking. This is again, assuming that he can get that. The wrestling does become a wash. He'd have to show not only, I think more consistent variety and, and pace than he has so far, but he would have to show like Valiev and like Henry, that he can do that while Barcelos is fucking nailing him with big shots. Yeah. And for a guy who has essentially experienced zero pushback so far, I'm not yet, um, I, I'm perfectly willing to be convinced. He's clearly a great uh, a great prospect, but I haven't seen that yet. So, I will say one small concern I would uh, have here is uh, Habib actually like stepping away from coaching. Oh yeah, that too. Just recently, and like could be a problem. It could be a problem just because I, you know, one of the things I always said was I felt was one of the great best things that Khabib ever did as a fighter was prep. Yes, absolutely. Just a dude who knew his opponent down to the last atom, the last molecule, Mm -hmm. and knew exactly how they were going to react to everything and exactly what would make them really uncomfortable and exactly, especially to know just knowing how they would always move on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, like one of the big dividers of what 
why so you see so few other fighters able to get the like the Dagestani handcuffs and like that positional level of positional dominance that Habib had was is just Habib actually knew if he got a good position on you, he knew what your next move would be. Mm-hmm. He knew what your tendency would be as to what you would give up and would just trap fighters that way repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And would you focus know? how he initiated those grappling sequences around like making the only option you were going to take the most convenient and available one. Like, yeah, just uh, uh, to paving the path to your own doom was something Khabib was very, very good at. Yeah. And so I, you know, and I feel like he was a pretty damn good coach too. And so I have to feel like that was probably something that he was helping his, his prized yeah. students with. And that is, you know, that's hard to replicate. You can't really replicate that. Yeah. So and who knows? there might be a, you know, a great culture of coaching sure. in, in that gym that it doesn't make that much of a difference. Yeah. Could Clearly be. Khabib got it from his father and yeah. possibly has had uh, some proteges of his own, but yep. Yeah, I just need to see it uh, in yeah. this fight from Nurmagomedov, and that's a that's a possible X factor. But even just as it is, based on what I have seen and the coaching he's been getting, um, I'm not convinced that um, he can have a if this this is a striking match that he can have a super consistent striking match because both Valiev and Henry, to a lesser extent, but I think that's because he was more boxing focused, which Umar is not. Uh, both of them had to go through a bit of hell. Oh yeah, against, I mean against Barcelos. I mean Valley of lost. I thought he lost that yeah, fight I too. I just, I think Nurmagomedov is going to scrape this one out with a win that I I may not feel like he deserves. Yeah, that's possible. But uh, I just I I worry about Barcelos's ability to keep pulling the trigger when his when his offense isn't turning into like clear mm-hmm. uh clear advantages yeah. when he's not when, when his opponent isn't getting demolished when they aren't getting taken down and getting uh you know giving up their back and getting giving him positions where he can just really clearly dominate he just has a lot of trouble being like oh no I need to keep initiating I need mm-hmm. to make sure that I keep doing things to this person and creating risk for create creating risk for myself and risk for them yeah. to make this fight my own. Honestly, the Henry fight might have been the best instance of him actually doing that because that was one where Henry's boxing was yeah. so overwhelming he had to. Yeah. He had to be quite aggressive. Uh so uh, I I'm worried about it. Uh, and I would love to see Barcelos win this fight, but I'm also sadness hedging. So, yeah, and I don't. I don't think insensibly. I mean, I I, I don't think you're. Uh, you don't yeah. have good reasons for picking Umar. Uh, Nurmagomedov opened at minus two hundred, dropped down to minus four ninety five, and it's currently down at minus eight eighty nine. It's absurd. Barcelos opened at plus one seventy, jumped up to plus three eighty five, is currently up at plus five ninety two. It has to be said, Nate Manus as a zero. We're talking about this like with Danny Ige. Mm-hmm. Nate Manus as a zero range offensive fighter who only boxes mm-hmm. 
was more or less a walkover sitting duck yeah. for Umar Nurmagomedov. As it proved, again, when he moved down and fought Tajiru Lanbakov. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, wow, you're going to have this exact same problem again with somebody who does some of the same things. Yeah. And... And Ulambikov actually finished him. Yeah. <laughs> it was a three-round out-wrestling from uh, Khabib Jr. And it, you know, it, it is not, like, Nurmagomedov is good. He's going to be good. He's going to be a top fighter in this division. No question. For a while. No question. But Hani Barcelos is a top fighter in this division as well. He's just one of the most underrated fighters in the whole promotion. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOver.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts over on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. As always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at ChrisReaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com <laughs>